beautiful spring morning here in Berkeley. Uh, little Christmas in the air. And I'm happy to be with you here. We're uh, in the second week, is that right? Third week of our practice period. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, and uh, really appreciated hearing uh, so Sue's talk last night, uh, and she's going to be the speaker next Saturday, I believe. Right? You ready? No. Oh. <laughs> so it's to say just yes, whatever it is, just yeah, say yes. I'm, right? I'm exploring no a lot. Like okay, well, that's good. <laughs> that's the other side of yes. yes. There's always another side. Um, Next Friday, um, we're going to have what would ordinarily be bansan or um, evening tea. Uh, we're going to have a tealess tea, uh, but it's going to be live in the Zendo. So I really want to encourage people to come. It's going to be live and hybrid. And uh, been in discussion with a number of people feeling like it would be useful to speak about the functioning of our forms, of our Zen forms, and I'll speak about that a little today too. And in particular then to uh, go over points or questions that you might have. So Bonson is usually a, it's, it's an informal question and answer uh, discussion uh, between uh, the teacher and uh, those who are present. So that's what we'll do. We'll, the subject is going to be our forms. Um, so last week, uh, I was away for much of the week at a, a quite a remarkable event. Uh, I was in Los Angeles at the uh, Soto Temple there. There's, there's two Soto Temples in California. Actually, there's more than two. Uh, there's uh, the main temple is in Shuji in Los Angeles. And uh, that's in Little Tokyo. Uh, and it has been there for a hundred years. And so one of, it was a series of ceremonies that uh, took place. And one was to mark the centenary of Soto Zen in America. Uh, and the other, so there were several ceremonies around that. And the other ceremony was 
a preliminary memorial for the 700th anniversary of uh, our ancestor, Kazan Jokin Zenji, who along with um, Dogen is seen as one of the, the two principal founders of Japanese Soto Zen. So there was a pretty elaborate series of ceremonies and I'll, I'll t- and they were uh, there were a number about 40 priests from the from North America and about an equal number had come from Japan including for the first time some very high up people in Sotoshu, the abbot of Sojiji and the Ino of Sojiji, the president of Soto Zen. Uh, and so this was an important occasion. And I'll, I'll say more about why I feel it was important. Uh, the other thing that happened just the other day uh, was that we had a visit from a number of priests and practitioners from Hawaii, from Soto, Soto practitioners from Hawaii who came and visited us and we sat in the Zendo and then we went and had tea and had a discussion. And these are, they're very moving events to me. From time to time, Sojin Roshi would kind of give a, an overview of our relationship, our evolving relationship with uh, sort of the, the Soto Zen uh, organization, you know, or church, if, if you will, in, in Japan, and what our relationship is to it here in the US. Uh, and that's an evolving relationship. So often when I come back from, we have, we have meetings with, so let me just step back a second. There are about 50 priests in the West who have, if you will, an ecclesiastic rank who belong to the Sotoshu organization. And Sojin was one of those, I'm one of those. Um, and we have this rank and also we have an appointment, if you will, uh, as uh, foreign missionaries. We're, we're Soto Zen missionaries. Uh, so it seems a little, I never thought I would be a missionary, you know, I don't think. but, uh, but I actually have this piece of paper that says this. And it's always been puzzling uh, as a as a position or as a you know in relationship to an organization that I don't know much about. Uh, uh, it's not been so comfortable. You know, and we've had we've had some challenging times in relation to the Soto organization. You know, sometimes uh, it's interesting, they 
as missionaries to give us a very small amount of money every year as a gift. And then they also, uh, we also have to pay dues. Uh, and I remember at one meeting, but we never knew, like, said they kept changing the rules, which was very uncomfortable. And I remember one, uh, one particular meeting where Sojin stood up and determinedly said, no taxation without representation. <laughs> uh, because we didn't know who it was that was making these decisions. So it's been a, it's been a challenging relationship. But something is moving both in the relationship and in connection to, I think in connection the way I see it, in connection to our practice. Uh, and also, in my own vision of what we're doing. And that vision has really been shifting in the last uh, six months. Uh, during the winter spring semester, I was uh, asked to fill in for my friend Kosen Greg, Greg Snyder, who is a teacher at Brooklyn Zen Center, which is in our Suzuki Roshi lineage. And he teaches at Union Theological Seminary. Uh, and so he was having medical treatment. So he asked me to fill in to teach a class on uh, engaged Buddhism in Asia. And this was um, on the one hand, I have a very wide experience of engaged Buddhism in Asia, having gone there a lot over the last 30 years and being influenced and uh, moved and connected to uh, these movements in Asia. But there was something about teaching this and studying it that really recentered my understanding. And I think that it goes, I should say, it goes, uh, it's not unrelated to what we've been, uh, some of us have been working on here with the Many Communities One Sangha program, uh, which has been looking at uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, and looking at uh, kind of the corners of our thinking of bias that we might carry, things that are programmed in us in the course of this particular society. And when I looked at engaged Buddhism, and now when I look at what we were doing in Los Angeles last week, I see it through different eyes. Um, and those are eyes that recenter the Asian experience. Uh, and this is really powerful for me that um, 
you know, for many years I was the uh, I was the director of Buddhist Peace Fellowship here in the West, and so my idea, without a certain level of examination, even though I've always been an internationalist, um, there was a way that my understanding of engaged Buddhism was shaped by my location here in the West, and also by uh, kind of unexamined premises. And I think that what I've found, and it's really coming up for me this week, is that uh, a similar thing kind of has filtered into, a similar thing creates my, has created my understanding of what we're doing in Zen and where it comes from. Reading Sojin Roshi's memoir, there's a wonderful section of the memoir, which will be published in, uh, in the fall, where he honors his, in particular, his Japanese teachers. Suzuki Roshi, Kanegiri Roshi, Komuchino Roshi, and Tatsugami Roshi, who was his Shuso teacher. And these are really formative. These, these figures who came here uh, to share their traditions with us were really formative on, on him. And he, he always honored them. And he maintained that connection uh, he maintained a connection with, with after Suzuki Roshi died, with Maizumi Roshi, Katagiri, uh, Komuchino, uh, and uh, Akib, Gengo Akiba Roshi, who is uh, who lives at uh, Kojinan in Oakland on Chabot Road. Uh, and all these figures were, Sojin was always in, in a very close connection with them. And I'm just thinking about that more and more. So, um, I'm thinking about what our relationship is, what we owe what we owe to the ancestors who planted the seeds of Zen, uh, what we learned from them. And I've been studying this history. So to see how Soto Zen came to America a hundred years ago, uh, and if it had not come to America a hundred years ago, uh, we would not be here, very possibly we would not be here, and we wouldn't have the traditions that we have. So we just, um, we just had Bodhisattva ceremony, 
and it was really beautifully done and uh, not perfect, which is good. Uh, perfect is the enemy of the good, uh, but it was perfect. And that was something that was brought to us. We've adapted it slightly, we've translated it, uh, but the very shape of it is something that we owe to our ancestors. The shape of the practice that we got from Suzuki Roshi, uh, he brought what he could, what he felt was the essence. And we see this in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Uh, but he also made a point uh, at a certain point uh, in the mid to late 60s, he invited Tatsugami Roshi to uh, to come and set up the monastic forms at Tassahara. He didn't feel that he had mastery of them. So he invited Tatsukami Roshi and those forms. So that was uh, 55 years ago, 56 years ago. And those forms are now transmitted day by day, year by year, at Tassahara and the other San Francisco Zen centers, uh, they come from someplace. And this is what's really powerful to me is to recognize where things come from. And that it's not just uh, this great man, say Suzuki Roshi, brought this, it's important what he brought, but what he brought was also in the context of an entire uh, community, an entire society, and uh, a whole tradition, which includes ordinary people, and it includes priests, it includes, you know, great teachers, but one thing that was very moving at Zen Shuji last week uh, was uh, every day we had lunch and dinner cooked for us by the members of the Zen Shuji temple. They were literally sustaining us. And these are these are Japanese American uh, practitioners, mostly some not a Japanese background, but uh, but many were, and at the same time, fully. You know, their their third or fourth generation here in the United States, and so they're negotiating this this wonderful territory uh, where they honor their traditions and also uh, are very much part of the society that we have, uh, that all of us share across different ethnic backgrounds. Uh, and it's the same, you know, and they sustain the values and practices that came given to them 
uh, and that they really wholeheartedly and generously share with us. Um, those of us who are outside that temple community. So this is very powerful. Um, we studied about Kazan. Uh, Kazan, we don't talk about so much. Perhaps we should speak about it a little more and understand him better. Uh, Kazan was the, the third generation or the fourth generation well, third generation after Dogen. Dogen uh, transmitted the Dharma and the Abbasi uh, of, uh, of AHE to Koan HO. And Koan transmitted, um, gave the Abbasi of uh, AHE to his disciple, Tetsuki Kai. And then there was some controversy, which I don't even, I don't fully understand, but Tetsuki Kai left. And his disciple was Kazan. Uh, and our lineage proceeds there. Uh, and Kazan uh, gave the transmission to Gasan Joseki and so forth onto uh, into uh, Suzuki Yoshi and Sojin and others of us. So to speak about the spirit of our tradition, um, when he was studying with Kazan, uh, with, with, I'm sorry, with, with, with Tetsuki Kai. Uh, one day Tetsuki Kai was lecturing on a very famous case where a dialogue between Master Nansen and his student, and his student, uh, Joshu. Uh, Joshu of the famous, does the dog have the Buddha nature case. But Nansen uh, was speaking of, uh, was asking Joshu, uh, actually, I'm not, I, can't, I can't remember which way it went. I think Joshu was asking uh, Nansen, what is the way? And Nansen said, ordinary mind is the way. And with that, uh, Joshu had an awakening experience. Well, when Kazan heard Gikai lecturing on that, he had an opening. And he went to Gikai to say something about this. And uh, Gikai asked him, what have you realized? And Kazan said, a black lacquer person runs through the night. Gikai said, that's not yet it. Can you say more? And Kaysan said, at tea time, I drink tea. 
At mealtime, I eat rice. And with that, Vikai smiled and said, this person in the future will arouse the ancestral wind. At tea time, I drink tea. At mealtime, I eat rice. So this is, this is the spirit of our practice. The fact that yes, last night or Thursday night, we were studying uh, the chapter in Zen Mind Beginner's Mind uh, on study yourself. And in the epigraph, uh, Suzuki Roshi says, to have some deep feelings about Buddhism is not the point. We just do what we should do, like eating supper and going to bed. This is Buddhism, eating supper, going to bed, drinking tea, eating rice, doing everything in its appropriate moment. This is ordinary mind. This is the enlightenment that we all participate in fully and we glimpse maybe only at moments, at rare moments, perhaps. And Zazen is the expression of our realization. Uh, as Dogen explained, it is practice realization. It's not the method or the means by which we attain something. It's actually the expression of it. And I think that this was what we learned from Sojin Roshi, what we learned from Suzuki Roshi, who always foregrounded just the practice. So one thing that I've been thinking about coming back from Los Angeles is we tend to, understandably, the emphasis is on, we have an emphasis on Zazen. And, you know, then there we were in uh, Los Angeles doing these very elaborate ceremonies, uh, which seem to be kind of the antithesis of Zazen, right? And I kept thinking, what is it that connects these? And this applies to when we talk about our forms, when we do the Bodhisattva ceremony, it's like, uh, I could see from my peripheral vision, uh, some people were trying to figure out, well, when do I bow? And when do I get up? And there wasn't a lot of explanation. It's just we watch and we see what happens. There, there is um, a form that we're trying to enact, but we don't always explain it. And I think that one of the things that was very helpful last week, uh, not exactly a new perception, but but something 
that was meaningful to me. Uh, so just to say forthcoming is, is a new translation of Dogen's Shobogenzo. The whole thing, uh, it's eight volumes. It's got the English, very accurate English translation. It's got the Japanese and has a whole uh, lot of scholarly apparatus with all the footnotes you could ever want to explain things, which I, I want them, you know. Uh, and this has been done by the Soto Gex translation project, which was going for 15 years. And it's run, it was, or, it was coordinated by uh, Professor Carl Bielfeld in Stanford. And Carl, who was, who was a student of Suzuki Roshi's, was there to kind of present and uh, show us and tell us about this new translation. I have I've ordered it, by the way. Uh, it's very expensive, but I've ordered a copy for, for BCC. Um, Carl said something interesting, and I think this is what binds uh, the practice of zazen and the practice of our rituals, which he was saying that uh, the Zen tradition is, you can look at it as performance. It's performative. In other words, you actually have to do it with your body. There's something we do with our body with sitting down and doing zazen. We put ourselves into Buddha mudra, into the posture and position of the Buddha. And that's something that one has to do. It's not a state of mind. It's not some rarefied experience. It's a physical embodied activity. And the same thing is true of the Bodhisattva ceremony. And the same thing is true of all the rituals that we did last week, that um, the operative question is how, how do I do this? Because the operative question for our life is also, you can look at it from the perspective of performance. The operative question is, how do I do this? How do I live? How do I die? Um, and this is part of the process of studying ourself is to study each activity that we do. So when we're bowing to the Bodhisattva ceremony, okay, so what's the cue from the bell? When do I go down and raise my hands? When do I get up? All of these are questions that at different times, if we're paying attention, we may ask ourselves. And this is at the heart of what I think our ancestors were transmitting to us. And just in the how, there's also uh, 
the manifestation of our relationship. So how we were served, uh, how um, generously and warmly we were served food by uh, that had been really lovely prepared by the uh, temple members. That's part of the larger performance of Zen or of Buddhism. Sojin often talked about how is really the fundamental question for us, not why, but how do I do this? Uh, why is another is another thing. It's another question. Why you know you can look at any of these rituals. Uh, you know. Why do we walk around the Zendo uh, in Shashu in, like this? Or why do we bow to our seat? It's like there's not a particular reason uh, that that's called for. It just this is what it was. This is what was done, and this is what we're doing to be in in, line, in alignment with to try to be in alignment with our ancestors, to try to be in alignment with the gifts that were given to us, and to try to do things in harmony with each other. So this is how we study ourselves. I often come back to this line in translation of the uh, uh, the Jewel Mirror Samadhi. Um, actually, it's in the last, it's not the translation that we use right now, but it's the translation we used to use, uh, which says, the meaning is not in the words. It responds to the inquiring impulse. It's just, that inquiring impulses, how? So I want to leave time for discussion, but I want to uh, want you to hear something. One of the things that was really fantastic in the uh, in these rituals that we did, which was new to me in the context of these rituals. Uh, was that there was a musical background for them. Uh, there's this tradition in Soto Zen called Baika. People know about that? Uh, it's beautiful. I'm going to play you something. Uh, and we had this, this wonderful teacher who gave us a couple of instructional sections and got everybody singing. Uh, and so while the ceremonies were happening, there was this musical background within which we were uh, settling this very deep. Uh, so I want to play this to you. And I spoke to the instructor who's coming to do some teaching here in, the, in California in February. And I'm trying to, we're going to set up a, 
an instruction section session with him one for for a day or an afternoon so he can teach us these songs it's really fantastic so let's see if you can hear this that we sang, it's that's the three treasures, taking refuge in the three treasures. So I think I'm going to stop there and leave time for discussion, anything that you want to know about what we did in LA, uh, what uh, what our relationship is with Sotoshu, what the relationship is with our practice. Uh, Flores is open and uh, I'm also will be looking at raised hands online. So first, anyone here? Yeah, Preston. Can we sing like that here? What? Can we sing like that here? Yeah, if we learn how to do it. <laughs> sounds yeah. fun. What? It sounds really fun. Oh yeah, it's really fun. I mean, we all, this is what we, I mean, we were not experienced, nobody there uh, of the Certainly, of the Westerners uh, were experienced in doing it, but they have a they have a bika performance group at Zenshuji, uh, which knows how to do it. And uh, yeah, I, I'd like to I'd like to learn this. Yeah, Carol. The voices were so high. Were, were was it male and female singing? This I, I played one with with female, uh, yeah. There is both the teacher that we had was male. Um, uh, yeah, you have to find a comfortable pitch, uh, but uh, it's not that hard. It really isn't. It's it's, but it is wonderfully nuanced. Yeah. Marco. Um, I'm wondering from your perspective, what is kind of what's an 
potential transmission of what American Zen gained from Japanese Zen and if anything is like lost in the transmission across cultures. So I don't know if you heard it, she's saying, what was an essential trans transmission from Japanese Zen here to the West, and if anything was lost. Um, I just, what I'm coming to feel is that it's not a question of whether, for me, it's not a question of whether things were lost. It's a question of what do I understand about the tradition? What do we share about the tradition? And also uh, that that these traditions are not fixed, that actually they are always, historically, they're always changing. This is one of the things that I saw when uh, studying, uh, we're doing the class at, at Union. It's like we think of uh, Soto Zen as some, uh, you know, as some just kind of monumental tradition that is unchanging, but it's always changing. And so things are always, things are being lost and things are being gained. And things are being translated across cultures. I think what, for me, and I, I said this, I think last night, you know, what I, what I felt when I went and practiced at Tsuyoji, uh, uh, in in Japan was I recognized a more complex version of forms that we had here and that the forms that we had here had been uh, somewhat simplified for our circumstances. But I also think, and I see this, I often talk about this with the music that that I study and play um there's always levels of nuance complexity that you can always go deeper and i think that what oh this is something i wanted to say thank you um what's really shifted over the last 15 or 20 years is um that we are now in a, an active collaboration with uh, Japanese, particularly Japanese friends from Sotoshu who are sharing us, sharing really basic understandings of how you do things and showing us how to do them. And we've sort of moved past we move over the threshold of resistance. And uh, so, you know, for one of the ceremonies, the, the officiant, which is a complex role, was Kanjin uh, Galen Godwin. Uh, for one of the ceremonies that was done last, uh, last fall, uh, Chosen Base was the officiant. So we're becoming partners which is what they wanted all along. Uh, so everything's not gonna be the same. Every, things are going to change. But Soto, Soto Zen 
in Japan is also in the process of change. So that's kind of as far as I can go. There's some hands out there. Boy, a bunch of them. So Peter. Thank you, Hosan. Um, can you say something about the how of practice in those in those many, many moments, periods, when you're not physically engaged in some understood form or shared form, um, you, you know, how do you hold yourself lightly while taking yourself to the, to the Berkeley Bowl or, you know, uh, doing any other random activity, which on the face of it seems unconnected with how we how we intend to practice, but well, the, the, yeah, the simplest formless practice, formless practice. Let's put it that way. The simplest form that I can apply to formless practice, which uh, Sojin said many times, is uh, you should always know where your feet are. That is a how question, right? Yes. You know. Where am I placing? I mean, this. I'm sure this is a big question for you, right? <laughs> you know, how am I placing it down? You know, how is my how am I standing? You know, am I is my weight divided? So you can always have a moment. This is a moment of mindfulness. Mindfulness of the body. Mindfulness of the body is a, is a how question, or mindfulness of the breath, or mindfulness of the mind. So uh, those are those are the kind of broader, uh, the broader engagement with form that we can have. Thank you. So is it Barbara Joan or Jeff today? Jeff. It's Jeff. Um, thank you. Um, towards the I may have misunderstood you, but towards the beginning of your talk, I thought I heard you say that you had gained through recent experience a new, some new understanding about engaged Buddhism, especially in Asia. Uh, and I don't think you elaborated on that. So I was wondering if you could elaborate on what the new understanding was, if I understood yeah. correctly. Well, I think it applies to Buddhism, period. Uh, not just engaged Buddhism. The new understanding was it's not a new understanding, it's just a short, a heightened awareness. It all comes from Asia. It's, there's a root there uh, that is, without that, we would not be doing what we're doing, if that makes sense. Uh, and I can, you know, I can explain to you at this point, how I see that flow happening, coming from Asia. And, you know, there, there's reasons. It all, it's partly engaged Buddhism, and I don't want to get into this too much. Uh, to some degree, it arose in response to colonialism and oppression. And uh, it took a new form as, as a survival technique. Uh, but also in in the pursuit of, of justice and equity. And I think that uh, I would say this is another this is another really large question. 
uh, the Buddhist traditions that we have here in the West, uh, particularly if you're looking at Soto Zen or you're looking at Jodo Shinshu, the context in which they really evolved were necessary contexts in necessary developments in the context of really pretty terrible racism that was directed at uh, immigrants coming from Asia and that were not done with. But so these, it's, as Ross pointed out the other day, the lotus blossom flowers in muddy waters. And uh, so those are, those are, so what I'm saying, the new understanding was a really a recentering in Asia that is extremely helpful for it. It really clear, clarifies a lot for me, but it's a, that's a whole other class. Thank you. Anyone else here, Ross? Uh, it, you spoke of your and Sojin's um, receiving a rank from the Soto Shu. And I'm wondering if you could uh, speak about that in relation to the story of a true person of no rank. How do those two sides of rank work? Well, I think the wonderful example of that is Akiba Roshi. For any of you who know him, he's probably the highest ranking uh, Soto Zen priest that we have in America. And he's completely unpretentious. You know, uh, a rank is just, a rank is just, uh, it's an organizational responsibility. It's not a badge, you know, and I don't think Sojin ever wore that badge. I don't particularly wear it. Uh, but it does, I do feel like I have some responsibility to, uh, to transmit the teachers, the teachings, that, that's it, you know, and I think it's more complicated here in America because uh, it used to be in Japan and other countries, uh, ordained people who were professional religious people. And the primary responsibility for uh, dissemination and transmission of, of the teachings were in their hands. It's not like that anymore here. You know, it's, it's a lot less clear and we have people whose maturity is really recognized uh, quite aside from the question of ordination or not ordination, or rank or not rank. So maybe in the case of Akiba, that the degree of rank he holds is relation, directly relation to the horizontality of his ordinariness and just being part of the community. I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Ken or Katie? Thank you, Hosan. Um, so I just wanted 
Yeah, first of all, um, I really appreciate um, the connections you're drawing to present day Japanese and other Asian immigrant Buddhist communities. I've always interesting question of why is there separation? Um, so it's interesting to hear about connection as well. Um, and I wanted to ask if I was understanding you correctly in terms of what you were saying about um, the forms and the physicality and performing them. Um, were you saying that the um, well, through our physical performance of these forms, we are, you know, physically connected to our Asian ancestors and our Asian siblings as well, you know, um, in that we're not doing these things a particular way because they have a, um, we're doing things a particular way to be connected to them. Yes. Handed down to us. How, should I repeat that? Yes. Um, let's see if I can. Uh, asking, Katie is asking about whether uh, I see the forms as a manifestation of our connection to uh, the Asian and Asian American uh, communities and cultures. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. 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 Um, yes. Uh, and, you know, every year when we have this Soto Zen conference in, in LA, uh, every year we have a workshop and they are teaching us the forms. Uh, and uh, some of them we bring back uh, as appropriate to our communities. Uh, so there is a really determined effort to share the tradition with us. And that is just, that's really precious to me. But I want to say that it's, it's not more precious than the friendships. The friendships that we have with, uh, people who come from Japan, the friendships that we have with other people in our tradition, whether they're lay or priest, these are what sustains the relational, the kind of formless relational aspect that is the heart of it. And then that heart is manifested in certain particular ways. Okay, maybe one more and then we have to end. Anyone else here? Judy. Um, one of the things I've noticed in any of conversations around ceremony and their purpose, um, for instance, to be a container for what needs expression, for instance, a memorial service, a container for grieving, for gratitude, for moving through, is um, That there's no one way, just like people say there's no one way to grieve, there's no one way to contain, right? And so I'm wondering, in terms of, say, uh, what has come to us 
Soto shoes, Soto Zen, um, is where, where does, uh, you know, Dogen's um, experience and stepping away from Tendai practice and, and its um, emphasis on ceremony fit in here? And, and where does the lineage of Koto Sawaki Roshi and Uchiyama Roshi, and interestingly, Shihako Akamura, who participates in this very engaged in such, if you will, high ceremony. How, how do you, how do you see that flow? I don't really have a good answer to that because I think it, it involves subtleties of expression that I'm still learning about. So for example, last night, uh, uh, Genpo and I watched this beautiful movie by uh, Ozu, a Japanese filmmaker. I think it was called Good Morning. Uh, and at the heart of it was, uh, like, what does it mean? What, what did these really simple, seemingly meaningless things that we say to each other, how did they tie us together? Like, good morning, good evening. Oh, and the last scene is these, these two people who are coming to recognize their love for each other, staying on a train platform, and one says, ah, it's a beautiful day. Mm -hmm. And the other woman is saying, yes, it's a beautiful day. And the guy says, it looks like we're going to have good weather. Yes, it looks like we're going to have good weather. It's these, these really things that have no particular substance, but what they are, are uh, expressions of relationship. And so I can't say what, what Dogen's relationship was to, say, his Tendai tradition, uh, or what, what he carried of that. I don't know enough about it. Uh, and I, but I would guarantee, and I know from Shoham, because I watch Shoham so much, like, uh, he's not really interested in the formal forms, but he's a very formal person. The way he moves, the way he speaks, the way he relates to people is the expression of that form in a formless way. And in that he's, you know, he's profoundly Japanese. So, uh, and we're never going to be Japanese. However, that's not the objective. The objective is how can we be with each other? How can we be awake? How can we be awake ourselves? How can we uh, create a setting for awakeness in our relationships? That's where I'm going to end. <laughs>